to the Crosspoint Church Sermons. This sermon was preached by Pastor Scott Kappelman during a Sunday worship service. We hope you enjoy and share the message. This morning, if you have your Bible, I want us to uh, start together in the book of Isaiah. And so if you would take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah 55, um, I just want to ask you a simple question as we get started. We're going to hear a testimony in just a few minutes. Um, Do you believe God's Word has the power of the Gospel? Do you believe God's Word has the power of the Gospel? Isaiah 55, beginning in verse 8, says something very interesting. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth... So my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For just as the rain and snow fall from heaven, and do not return there without saturating the earth, and making it germinate and sprout, and providing seed to sow and food to eat, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I please, and will prosper in what I send it to do. I want you to hang on to those verses um, as we share this morning, and we'll come back to that thought in just a few minutes about the power of God's Word. Um, I'm really excited to have uh, Sarav Rawal joining me here on the stage today, and we're going to talk to Sarav in just a few minutes and let him share his testimony with you. But in order for you to understand why this uh, is going to take place, why I want to do the interview, I need to go back to the Crosspoint mission statement. So let me read that for you. It is Crosspoint is a worshiping community of authentic Jesus followers equipped and mobilized to advance God's kingdom in our world by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and making disciples while being faithful to God's word and culturally relevant. We've talked about the mission statement many times in the past, and I don't want to rehash too much of it. I just want to kind of remind you of some key things. For example, Jesus has given us a directive. He's given us a directive, and that is to advance His kingdom in our world. And so that's a part of our mission statement is we want to advance God's kingdom in our world. And Jesus, when He was teaching His disciples to pray, He said to them that we should pray, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are to be praying about the kingdom of God coming, and as believers in Jesus Christ, we are to be advancing His kingdom. Well, how do we do that? What is Jesus' method for advancing His kingdom? It is to share the gospel, and it's also to make disciples. And that comes out of Acts 1.8, where He says, you'll wait and receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we want to be His witnesses. He's called us to be His witnesses. And that's one of the ways that we're advancing the kingdom of God on this earth is to be His witnesses and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's also to make disciples. And that takes us to Matthew 28, which is a very familiar passage. We go there quite often as a church. But in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples. Once we've shared the gospel, in some, in some regards, making disciples includes sharing the gospel. But once we've shared the gospel, people have responded and given their lives to Jesus Christ, and we want to make them disciples. So go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, 
And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so that's the way Jesus has set forth his method for us advancing the kingdom is to share the gospel and make disciples. And then how do we do that at Crosspoint? What is our strategy? Well, if you have visited Crosspoint in the past and you might be thinking about joining our church, we don't know how long God's going to leave you here. He may leave you here for the rest of your life, but there's a good chance he may leave you here for five years or 10 years or 12 years. There's going to be a season he leaves you here. And while you're here, we want you to learn the importance of worship That's both private worship where you worship Him on a day-to-day basis, but also corporately we want to come together as the body of Christ and worship Him. We want to teach you the value of community because you can't do faith alone. I can't do faith alone. No one can do faith alone. So we need a community of believers who are around us to encourage us, to stand with us, to sometimes chastise us or hold us accountable. And so we want to teach you the value of Christian community. And then we want to equip you There's nobody in the room who has everything put together spiritually. You might be really good at prayer, but you might not be really good at meditation. So we might need to equip you on the value of meditation. Or you might be really good at prayer and meditation, but you're not good at evangelism. So we're going to teach you and equip you how to share your faith. So as you're here, while you're here, we're going to teach you to worship. We're going to teach you the value of community. We're going to equip you so that you can become more like Jesus in your walk with Him. And then we want to give you a taste of what it looks like to be mobilized, to be sharing the gospel, making disciples, and making an impact in the local community as we bring the light into the darkness. And that's our strategy. And then finally, I would share with you that we have some guidestones, some things that we're going to hold on to as we do this. We're going to always be faithful to God's Word. That's the standard. Everything we do has to be measured by the Word of God. And then secondly, we want to be culturally relevant. We don't want to get stuck in the patterns of doing things the same way all the time when they become ineffective. And so we want to be culturally relevant so we can take the gospel to the next generation. And then that brings me to these final two images before I get to Sarav. And that would be that for a long, long time, as a church, not just us, but a lot of churches have had the mentality that if we just build a building, people will come to us. Just build a building and people will come to us. And that's never worked. It's never been about a building. We've talked about that here at our church. It's always been about the people. It's always been about the relationships. We haven't had a building for 17 years. We've got a piece of ground that we've bought. It's paid for. We've got a plan of what we want to do. We've got a capital campaign pushing us in that direction. But who knows how long it's going to take us to get there. It could be two years. It could be four. It could be six. It could be ten. Some of you are going, I didn't know we were going to think about ten. We don't know. We're just walking with Jesus day by day. But in the meantime, the building's not going to draw the people. It's the relationships that we have with others in our community and even the relationships we have with each other in this building as we worship together on Sundays. And so it's not about a building anymore. In fact, it has changed dramatically. And now... Our world is connected by the internet, and we don't live in an isolated community called Starkville. Any longer, we live in a global community, a global community. And so our reach now has to be inclusive of the entire world. And that brings me to this guy, Sarav Raul. So, Sarav is here today because our elders would like to recommend that we actually hire Sarav and move him from being an intern, which he's been this fall, 
to being full-time on our staff, and I don't know what else to call him other than the associate pastor, but his primary number one responsibility will be our digital ministry. Because again, we can have a global impact through the internet. He's going to also help me with some pastoral type ministries, but he's also going to help us a little bit with college ministry. I'm not saying he's the college minister, but he's got some inroads there because he's worked with our students this fall. So he's going to collectively do three big things, but his primary focus is the digital part of us taking our church and making it global because we have that opportunity with the internet. And so that's why I wanted him to be introduced. Now, this guy's already got some experience doing this. He's got a podcast of his own called Think with Sarav. You ought to listen to it sometime. Think with Sarav. And then since he's been with us this fall, he's helped us to refresh and refurbish our own podcast called the Discover Crosspoint podcast. And now we have our sermons every week on that particular podcast, as well as interviews that we're doing with our church family so you can get to know people. You can find both Think with Sarav and Discover Crosspoint at Apple or any other uh, place where you can do podcasts. Uh, one more thing that he's done is he's refreshed our Crosspoint YouTube page. He's continually working on that, adding videos to that. We'll continue to do that going forward. And then he's helped me personally with a podcast called the Kaplman Leadership Podcast. And uh, that's been a lot of fun. And that's why I know today we're going to be okay because we've been doing podcasts together now for 13 weeks. And that's been a lot of fun. Now, we're going to bring Sarav into this conversation. I'm excited about you being here. Me too. So... <laughs> You're like, are you going to let me talk? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, Sarav, tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up. And I've got a few photographs that will go with that. So Sounds good. Thank you, Pastor Scott. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I grew up in Nepal, 1995. I was born in Nepal, far western part of Nepal, College Ham. And I grew up there um, as a shepherd, as a country boy. I looked after goats, and I looked after buffaloes, cows, and I just took them to the forest and jungles and looked over them. So that was my childhood. Uh, study, not so much. Then, <laughs> yeah, um, after that, I, uh, in 2006, 2007, around there, I moved to another place called Mohindranagar. Uh, the reason was I was not being a really good child, and my mom said, I give up, and she sent, she sent me away to my aunt. And my aunt would look after me for about six years, and then that's where I kind of, well, in Acham was the first time I got exposure to the gospel, but in, in Mohindranagar was an, another place where I got a little bit more exposure to the gospel, but I didn't know what that was. So in 2006, I was in Mohindranagar, and after that, I came in 2011, somewhere around there, to Kathmandu. That's the capital city of Nepal. And I've got a picture of Kathmandu. Yeah, that's where I was. Uh, to the far west part of the Nepal, that's where I was born, and... Uh, so I grew up as a Hindu. Uh, I, I was a very devout Hindu follower of Shiva, God Shiva, if you guys know who that is. And uh, I grew up as a Hindu from my childhood. Um, so that's my upbringing. So you had a pivotal moment in your life, though. You grew up Hindu, and then your grandmother yes. gave you a gift, and yep. this is the transforming moment. Absolutely. So in... Uh, 2007, 2008, 2009, I would say. I'm about 13 years old now at this point, 12, 13. 
And I like to read books. I'm a reader. I like to read a lot of books. I read now, and I, I, I read as a child because there was no internet, there was no phones. So all the thing you, got, you could do was read. And my grandmother knew that. She knew that I liked to read. And what she did was one day she said, my grandchild, grandson likes to read, so I'm going to buy a book for him and bring him a book as a gift. So she brings me a book. She bought that book for 10 rupees. That would be about 8, 9 cents. And she says, uh, I bought a book. Do you want to read this? And then I said, absolutely. And I looked at that, and, and lo and behold, that was the Bible. And she didn't know it was the Bible. She would have never bought that if she knew it was the Bible. <laughs> so a preacher who was, uh, I guess, a traveling preacher has passed by, and he sold the Bible to her. And uh, she didn't know. And I, I read that book. I started reading that book. And before that, let me go back a little bit, a uh, couple steps. The first time I heard about Jesus was when I was five, six years old. And I didn't know that uh, Jesus was my savior, nothing like that. There were some preachers, evangelists in my, in my village, and they talked about Jesus. So I knew there was some Jesus. And uh, then second time I was exposed to Jesus was in Mohendranagar, again, the second place that I moved to. And there I heard another pastor talk about, but never knew anything about that. And I called this, God is pursuing me, he's preparing me some, for something. Then I come to Mohendranagar, and that's where I find the Bible, and I read the Bible, and I say, Jesus, this is, I want to worship this guy. And I am a worshiper already, but this is nothing like the gods of Hindu, and there are about 33 million gods. So my grandmother handing me the Bible, and I read back and forth. There's no pastor. There's no other believer who, who is teaching me, no guiding church. me. No church. There was a family I heard of in that entire village. But then I started reading the Bible myself, and I went up on the, on the roof of the house, and I said, I want to follow this guy. I read about 17 tracts, and they were the same thing, but I couldn't stop. And I read all of them, and I finally made a decision. I want to follow this guy. So that's how I came to follow Jesus. Now, it's going to take you a little bit of time before you find a group of believers Absolutely. that you can identify with. Mm -hmm. How did you find them? So it's about five years later, I would find a church or believers. I know Jesus, and I have nothing, no idea, nothing else. I just know Jesus, and I'm doing, I'm praying, and I'm studying the scripture regularly. I'm reading the Psalms. I love Psalms, and I'm, I'm my aunt. If you can remember, I said I, li I moved to my aunt's. My mom sent me to my aunt's, and she's, teach um, she's teaching me scripture, Hindu scriptures. She wants me to read the Hindu scriptures. But I said I can't because somehow I had this conviction. I'm studying the Bible, and I cannot read the Hindu scriptures. So I said, I, well, I would read because they would make me read as a child. Then I would go alone in my room, and I would confess and repent, and then say, Lord, I read the scripture, Hindu scripture. But I would read the Psalms, and i say, okay, we're good now. So... <laughs> That's, that's how my faith was. Uh, and then in, in, in Mohendranagar, that's how it was. But when I came to Kathmandu, so you uh, moved to Kathmandu. Later, now I moved to Kathmandu to, to the capital city of Nepal. And I moved to Kathmandu there. The first time I went there, I knew I had freedom because I was living with my sister and I, there was nobody else to tell me not to do anything. So I wanted to go to church. That was my first thing. Within three months, I said, find me a church to my sister. She was already there. And we passed by this Red Cross-looking thing. They had a big cross. And I, all, every time I passed by, I thought that was a Red Cross society. And uh, I just kept passing by. And one day I said, I want to go in there. And I discovered my previous church, that is Upasana Church. 
And that's, that's the first time I saw a church. I went in there I w- in the middle of the service, and they were shouting, they were praising, and they are singing. And, uh, and there was this peace in my heart. And I said, this, these are my people kind of feeling. <laughs> and I went in there, and I started. Uh, that, that's the first time I was in the church at all. And once you got to that church, your pastor began to disciple you. Yes. My pastor, he started teaching me. Within three months, I got baptized. And that, and that's a big decision to get baptized. We, we didn't, uh, you didn't ask me about that, but that meant a lot of things to me. If I was to baptize, I didn't tell my parents, uh, I didn't tell my family first of all when I was baptized because if they knew I was baptized, they would. I don't know. I, I don't know what would they do. But it wasn't a good thing. So within three months, my uh, pastor every week he would meet me and teach me about the Word of God. And he would answer your questions. Answers my questions. And my another pastor, also in Mohindranagar, he would teach me a lot of things about scripture. I asked a lot of questions. I would meet with him uh, three hours a day and just asking questions about the scriptures. And, uh, and when I came to Kathmandu, again, I got to learn more. So that's how within three months I was baptized and I, I kept learning after that. All right, I want you to go back and tell the story that you've shared with me, how you had a, a grandparent who passed away, and you were Hindu at that point in time. You're the oldest son, so you're yes. responsible for leading that funeral. And you become a believer, yeah. and things change when the next grandparent dies. Absolutely. So um, my grandfather dies, and my, and my grandfather, grandmother, from my mother's side, they don't have a son. And I am the only grandson, I mean, I'm the grand, closest grandson, I should say. So automatically, that responsibility would fall on me to lead the funeral and to, to be responsible for them to cross the, this life into eternal life, in, according to Hindu scripture, into this another life, afterlife, let's say. And the first grandfather dies, and I wasn't a believer at the time, so I, I automatically, I led the funeral. I was the lead ceremony guy of Hindu, uh, according to Hindu religion. I, I did all the funeral things I was leading, and nobody else can do it. Only I can do it because of the relationship. So I did that, and several years later, my grandmother passes away, and I'm at this point now, I'm a believer in Jesus. And I have this conviction in my heart, I can't do that. And I said to my family, my grandmother passes away and everybody's looking at me, okay, you were the guy. And my family knows that I'm a Christian at this point. They know that I have been baptized and I cannot do that. I have told them that if she passes away, you have to find an alternative because I cannot do it. But they expect me to do it anyway. They thought I was just being silly at the time. They thought, once he will see the dead body of her, his grandmother, he will probably, he will automatically, uh, I mean, he will ask to do it. But I wasn't going to budge because I knew what that meant. I knew what that meant for the Christian group and the Hindu group whom I will be preaching gospel later. So my grandmother's body is laying in the, on the ground uh, and there's a whole village gathered. <laughs> They're saying, okay, Saurav, you got you to gotta lead the funeral. You can't say no. And that means ceremony for 13 days. That means I cannot eat certain food. I cannot do certain things. I have to be isolated. It's a whole Hindu ceremony for 13 days and 45 days of different ceremony. And I said, I can't. I'm a believer in Jesus. I cannot do it. And the whole village is now cursing me. They're cussing me. They're saying that they're 
not happy. There's a grunt. I mean, there's a whole mess and chaos in my in my house and my family. I, I talked to my mom the other day, and I said, what was going on? Can you tell me what happened in there? And she said, there were some villagers in the fa- uh, uh, villagers who questioned. And uh, so it was a really bad situation. But I had to stand, and I said, no, I can't. And finally, they gave up, and they kind of isolated me. They, nobody was happy with me. Nobody wanted to accept me in that village in some ways. So that was the consequences was I was isolated, I was deserted in a, in a way for, because I wouldn't leave that. And also because the reason they did that is I did my grandfather's already. Now, if I don't do my grandmother's, it doesn't make sense. So I have, I have to be the same person to do both of their ceremony. Only I cannot do it for grandfather. He's gone to the other side, and now somebody else does it for my grandmother. So to them, this is a, this is a big issue. It's a mistake. It's a... Because they possibly could not be together. Yeah. Since you didn't do both. That's a possibility, and they they knew that. But you stood for your faith. I had to, yes. You knew it would compromise your future gospel witness to those villagers. I wouldn't, uh, yes. That that was one of the reasons. And I talked to my church back home, and I said, this is the situation going on. Pray for me. And they encouraged me. They said, and... The interesting thing is I'm not the first one to do that. There were others who did that. So that, was, that became kind of encouragement to me. And in the future, they would see me as a Christian if I stood my ground. But if I compromise at the time, there, there's no going back to that. No matter how much I try, they would say, hey, you did that for her. Why can't you do it for him or for him, for him? So after th- I knew that was the time I had to stand my ground. So I want to show a couple of pictures of your church in Nepal okay. <laughs> because we have had to do a lot of setup and breakdown in 17 years, but we've got some nice, comfortable seats. But <laughs> would you notice these three photographs I have? You sit on the ground when you worship. <laughs> yes, we do. The whole the service. Whole service. What do you all think <laughs> about that? Explain that a little bit. Yeah, so... Well, we didn't have enough money for the chairs and all that. That's the first thing back then. But also, sitting on the ground was how every church began in Nepal. Uh, and there was no idea of sitting comfortably. It was, for us, I guess, for Nepalese, sitting on the floor was more comfortable than on the chair. We, we can't sit like that. See, we can sit like that for a couple hours. It's fine. We just stand for worship, but then we sit down just like that. It was more comfortable, too. Also, there's this uh, devotion. We didn't want to be too comfortable. So a combination of both, I suppose. Mm. So when we build that new building, we don't need yeah, chairs. Yeah, we don't need the chairs. <laughs> <laughs> we save a lot of money. Sarab, <laughs> so you uh, left Nepal uh, to come to the United States talk a little bit about that move and then what happened once you got to the United States. So I, I came in the, to the United States in 2016, 2016 fall. Um, so I came to Minnesota. I studied in Minnesota State University. I, I, I came as a computer engineer major student. Then couple, I'm in a couple semesters into it. I, I realized only engineering I could do was no engineering. <laughs> I was not. <laughs> I was, I, 
I wanted to be an astrophysicist, by the way. But I was weak in math and physics, so that was, <laughs> that was it for me. <laughs> I couldn't do astrophysicist or any of that, or any engineering. So I changed to, I thought I could do it a little bit of uh, management in information system. There was a little bit of computer, computers and a little bit of business, and I couldn't do that either. So finally I decided, and I, I think I changed my ma major about four times. <laughs> and then I, I said, finally, business management is, is the one that I think is very interesting to me. I can do it, I can talk, I can write. So I told her, I will do that fifth time. And she said, don't change your major anymore. Caitlin said that to me, my wife. And that was, that was my degree. But in 2017, well, 2018, I think, is when I was very immersed in the ministry in Minnesota. When I came back, I, I, I was doing a lot of ministry in you got, you got involved in a church right there by the campus. Yes, in 2016, campus ministry. So I got involved heavily in the ministry there um, I, because I wanted to do ministry when I came to the United States because I was doing ministry in Nepal. But that wasn't a good idea for me. I was heavily invested. I didn't take care of my studies. I didn't think about my classes. So I failed my classes. Now, as an international student, you cannot do that. You cannot fail classes and stay within the college. Um, I failed classes, so I was, I was suspended. I had to find another school or college to take me. Otherwise, they would send me home. That was the only alternative. And there was no school that was going to accept me if I had no uh, good standing. Edu I mean, academically, I was not doing well. But I think this is God inter God's intervention. One college in Texas accepted me, and I go there. I give. I take the. Uh, what is that? I take the. What do you do? That forgot that like word. Like an entrance exam? No. Uh, there was the first thing that happened, so I forgot the word. <laughs> well. Okay. Never mind. That was one where I just completely blanked out. But I I did that thing. <laughs> The first thing you do when you get into college and university, what, what is that thing? Orientation, thank you. <laughs> I did my orientation and everything went well. A couple of weeks, I mean a week later, my international advisor from Texas calls me and he says, Saraf, come in. I have an urgent thing to discuss with you. And I said, what's going on? And he said, well, I didn't, we didn't see your, uh, we didn't see your DARS report correctly. You didn't, uh, we didn't realize that you didn't have a good academic stand, uh, standing. So it's a big mess, but we don't want to, you already, we had, well, we already admitted you. You're already our student. So I, we don't know what to do, but could you get us a certificate from Minnesota State University saying that you were a good student? And then I'm thinking, why would they do that? <laughs> it just suspended me. <laughs> but I prayed and I said, Lord, you got to help me on this one. I, I, I repented and I said, I will do good. I'll be a good steward of your study, uh, what you've given to me here. Yeah. And I said, I prayed and I asked my, at the Minnesota State University, I said, could you guys give me this uh, letter that's saying I'm a good student? <laughs> and uh, God worked, I think, in this situation. They, somehow they sent me a letter saying he's a good student. <laughs> <laughs> And I sent my wife, she was, we were already courting at this point, and, uh, and I, she said, they gave, gave, gave you the letter. And I said, why? <laughs> this is, and, but that's how I, I got admitted and God kept me in the United States. But Texas became one of the turning points of my life because in Texas I, would, I, I had a lot, lot of time to think. 
I had a lot of time to prioritize, a lot of time to um, change my priorities. So God, I think that was God move. God knew I would be in that position, and he used that situation, that circumstances, I think for his own glory, because that's when I was, a year later, I, I would come back to Minnesota again, 2019, to finish my degree. Then, by then, Caitlin, could, 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 I mean, she could tell you that I was a completely different person because I had a year to think about and change my priorities and um, be a person that God wanted me at, at that point of my life, at that juncture of my point, uh, life. So 2019, I came back to, the, to Minnesota, and uh, I continued my degree, and I graduated after that. And you were on the dean's list? Now, yes. After I came back to Minnesota, I worked hard, and I made consistently in, on dean's list after that, and I passed it re really good grades. So the, the moral of this story is if we have students who are failing, don't give up. Yes. And if we have Mr. John Dickerson here, maybe you need to send a few letters for students <laughs> that have flunked out of school just to give them another chance. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, while you're in Minnesota, you met this young lady named Caitlin. Yes. I, I met my wife, Caitlin, in 2017, September. In September, I met her there. And then we started courting in 2018, April, um, after we were really close friends for 2000, from 2017 to 2018. And I, just, I prayed and I said, oh, Lord, this woman looks like somebody I want to marry. Before that, my prayer was, I don't want to marry any American. So that's not an option. So I said, Lord, <laughs> could you send me a Napoli just like her? <laughs> but, <laughs> but, I, I prayed that prayer. <laughs> so, you but, might be in trouble when this yeah. is over. <laughs> I prayed that prayer for about a month, I think, but God knew it, and I, I, I wasn't kidding myself. So in uh, 2018, I talked to my pastor there, and I said, this is the woman that I would like to. He asked me, actually, do you guys have anything going on? I said, nothing, but we could start doing something now. And then <laughs> we started court courting in 2018. And uh, 2020, uh, in 2021, May, we got engaged. We courted for three years three and a half years almost, and 2021 we got uh, engaged, and 2022 June this year we got married. You're newlywed. Newlywed. Yeah, we got a couple of pictures of their wedding. Yes. Look, now see, Sarav looks very happy. <laughs> like, I can't believe I pulled this off. <laughs> and Caitlin's kind of like, what have I just done? <laughs> yeah, a lot of them were thinking that. What has she done? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So then you come, you've come to Mississippi. Tell a little bit about how you got to Mississippi, why you're here in Mississippi. And so we got, in, well, Caitlin needed to do her dietetics inter internship in this university. That was the reason we, we came here. So she chose this place also because her aunt, uh, Aunt Shana and Uncle, Just, uh, Uncle, um, Chris. Uncle Chris lived here. So that was a good idea for her to live around here. For that purpose, we came to Starkville. I, I didn't know she chose, this was the first place she chose. I thought Texas was the first place she picked, but I recently found out Mississippi was the first place she picked. <laughs> uh, so that's why we came in, the, uh, in Starkville. But once we got here, Aunt Shana and uh, Uncle Chris were the one who set us up. <laughs> Aunt Shana completely set us up in this place. She, she loves her niece. And she, uh, for several months, she kept... Uh, 
just setting our house completely. We came to <laughs> Starkville, and Anshana had completely set us uh, set our apartment, furnished furniture, everything was completely set up. <laughs> she was just done everything, and so we just moved in into a perfectly set up uh, place. So these two people, and then Anshana said, "Well, let's go to my church, the place I go to," and she brought here, and I said, "Yes, let's go there." And uh, after that, she introduced us to you, and that's how we, well, first time we came to the cross point. Right. And it was a very unique meeting. That was the week uh, Stacy uh, was leaving us as our college minister, and you were in the lobby. I got to meet <laughs> y'all, and I walked away, and I said to my wife, I, I need to go spend some time with that couple. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that kind of led to where we are today. Yes. And we've spent a lot of time together the last several months, and it's been a lot of fun. Yes, sir. Okay, yes. I want you to talk about one more thing, and then we're done. You are actively overseeing a ministry in Nepal. Explain yes. to everyone about the ministry that you have currently going there. So in 2015, before coming to the United States, I, I started a ministry there, a ministry called Mission with 3B, and 3B stands for we... Well, basically, it means we bond, I mean, we, we birth, breed disciples, we develop disciples, and we send disciples. That's pretty much. So the main vision when I started that mission was to develop young men and women for Christ. That was. And when you of, say young men in Nepal, that can be all the way up to? 35. 35. So, so. it's usually from 15 to 35. We call them youth there. Um, so <laughs> There's a lot of people who are very happy to hear that. <laughs> And so yeah, you developed those men. Yes. So in 2015, we started. Before that, actually, before right before that, I was I was elected as the leader of that whole city to overlook the whole city. There were about 80 churches, and I was supposed to lead the whole 80 churches. Young men. That was a big mistake uh, for them because they didn't know what they were. And that's probably why Paul says, "Do not, do not, do not, do not appoint a new believer." in a big positions, and they did. I was a fairly new, uh, a new believer. It's been, it has been only two, three years I, I started believing in Jesus. And I, I got elected, I mean, appointed to, the, uh, to the, this big ministry, ministerial position, and I was full of pride, and I was full of this man. I, I, was, I would tell everybody who I was. I, was, I would tell everybody what I did. So, so much pride. And finally, what happens? Destruction. So the whole ministry collapsed. What I was supposed to do, I couldn't do it. And the, finally, everything collapsed. And then God convicted me in my heart what I had done because of my pride. I destroyed a beautiful opportunity for other men and women and young believers. So I repented after that, and I took rest a little bit. But then I said, God has given me this vision. I had pride. doesn't mean I should discontinue the vision. But but I had to go back that meant to the leaders and everybody and confess and repent and weep and cry and, and ask for their forgiveness. That's exactly what I did. And, uh, but, and then I also told them, but I still have this vision for the young men, young men and women. I want them to be Christ-centered, united people uh, for the gospel. So they all forgave me generously. And we, we, I said, I proposed to the 10 churches at the time, and I said, hey, let's, uh, I, this is my vision. Do you want to come with me? Do you want to walk with me in this, in this mission? 
And out of 10 churches, I invited about eight churches, I think, accepted that invitation. And we started Mission Way 3B in 2015. With, at the time, we had four to begin with, only four, I think, four, four people. Although they accepted the invitation, nobody showed up the first time. So four, and then we didn't give up. After six, seven months later, we had about 40. Now, Mission Week 3B serves among 15, 16 churches, about hundreds of leaders, and they're all over the place. They work uh, majorly, they work in Kathmandu, the main capital city, and multiple other cities around the Kathmandu, but they, they, they are still working there. About, there's a leadership team in Nepal, now I, I'm not in the leadership position, but I get to I, I get to work as a mentor, as a as a guy who just encourages them. Um, but they have we have active leaders. I I talk to the leaders mostly, but they are the ones just handling everything there. Mr. So you're mentoring the leaders who are then mentoring the people in the yes. program. So I'm and just, and you hope to go back once or twice a year in yes. the future just to check on the ministry, make a presence. Yes. That's, that's my, my heart longs for that opportunity. It's been six years since I've come to the United States, and the leaders kept asking me, when are you going to show up? Come on, we need you, we need you. And the circumstances and situation are such that I couldn't go. Now I have this opportunity, maybe next year or 2024, I'll be, I want to go back, and um, I want to see all the people who knew people. They, just, they have just heard my name, but nobody has seen me and met me. It'd be a great time to see them. But you, your long-term desire is not to live in Nepal. It's to continue to live in the United States, do ministry here, as well as continue to stay connected to the ministry there. Yes. So, yeah, I want to United States. I want to make it like a base camp, and then go from here to Nepal and other places. Makes sense. Any other things you want to share today? That that's about it. Well, keep praying for us. Keep praying for Nepal. Nepal is going through this. Uh, well, there are a lot of things happening. Nepal is growing in, 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 this, in this gospel preaching. A lot of people are coming to faith. That also means there's persecution that's coming. Right now, there are a lot of... Um, recently, we had an election, and there's this, this party that advocates for Hindu national. It's, uh, from the, right now, it's a secular... We have secular constitution, but if they come into power, that means... All other religions will be will be probably banned or something like that. It will happen. So they have not come to power fully, but they are moving in that direction. They won with big majority this election. So pray, keep praying for us. There is persecution, and most importantly, the false gospel is spreading too. You talked about that a couple of weeks ago, and there are other religions, other within the Christianity. There is this prosperity gospel that's creeping in in Nepal and other gospels. So keep praying for Nepal, keep praying for me, keep praying for the mission that we have in Nepal. And they are doing a great job. I, they don't need me, but that's, I would say, keep praying. Keep praying for me. I appreciate that. Thank you, Sarah, for sharing. And before he leaves, just as kind of a quick wrap-up, um, some of you might be saying, okay, what's, what's next um, in terms of after today, now that you've heard his testimony? Um, there's just a couple of things I would like to um, encourage you to do. First, get to know Sarav and Caitlin over the next few weeks. Um, if you've not had a chance to do that, um, you can take them to lunch or supper or just meet them at the office whenever they're there and have conversations to get to know them. Um, and then pray for our church and uh, for the Rowells and that God would give us direction as we move forward over the next couple of weeks. And then two weeks from now, 
uh, are starting next Monday, a week from now. Uh, on the 5th, there could be internet voting where you could vote for Sarab or vote against Sarab if you don't really care for him and don't think this is a wise move. Uh, but you can also vote in person on the 12th, I mean on the 11th. And that way, um, you, if you're not going to be here that Sunday, because we are in the Christmas season, um, it might be easier for you to vote by internet. But if you're going to be here, we'll have paper ballots as well, and we'll vote and uh, decide whether to ask Sarab to be our associate pastor. I think he'll do a fantastic job. And We've had a lot of fun working together uh, this fall, doing a lot of different things. So that's what I would ask you to do. Let me lead us in a word of prayer. And the last thing, as you're beginning to bow your head and we move into the invitation, we'll ask our praise team to come back. Sarav shared his testimony today. But the question that we need to all grapple with in this room is, has our life been transformed by the gospel? We started in Isaiah 55, where God's word does not go out and come back void. And so if you've been exposed to the gospel... Has it been a life-transforming moment where you've trusted Jesus with your life? If not, then we hope you might consider doing that today. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for this chance to uh, hear from Sarav, to hear his testimony, to see how you took your word, just put it in his hands, and then from there the Holy Spirit began to guide him to a place where he realized the Hindu faith was not the correct faith, and he put his faith in your son Jesus, and as a result, it has transformed his life. We would pray this morning as we move into the invitation, if there are individuals in this room who've never experienced the transformation power of Jesus, that that would happen before this service ends and that you would be at work and we would be obedient. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. If you would like more information about our church, you can go to www.discovercrosspoint.org and you'll find additional information about our church and our ministries. If this has been an encouragement to you, we hope you'll share it with others and give us a good rating and that way other people can find it as well. In the meantime, we hope you'll come back next week and join us for next week's sermon.